Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. All right. Father, thank you so much for this day and the things you're revealing to us and um, and uh, your soon destruction of um, this criminal organization in Babylon called the Deep State and the Faction. And uh, so thank you, Father, for this, that the dragon will fail to devour the man-child and uh, that you will have the victory. You are coming to finish this thing off. Thank you, Father. All right, we're going to call this um, Storms of Judgment Are On The Way. And we have this first revelation given to uh, Winnie Asagata, 3.16.23. And we called it, Don't Be Afraid of the Storm Ahead. Praise be to God. I dreamt that I, my husband Chuck, and our daughter Zoe were in a narrow hallway of a large industrial building, and there was a huge storm or hurricane on the way. Uh, she said, I believe the narrow hallway could represent the narrow road. He agreed, yeah. A narrow hallway is considered a place of safety in a storm, right? And uh, Matthew 7 and 13 and 14 says, Enter ye in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many are they that enter in thereby. For narrow is the gate, and straightened the way that leadeth unto life, and few are they that find it. So Chuck and Winnie were in the narrow way with Zoe, which means God's life, right? Winnie went on to say, I knew this storm was uh, something I had not seen or experienced before. Yep, it's going to be tough on the bad guys. Chuck was laying down with his pillow and blanket in the middle of the hallway. In other words, in safety, right? And Chuck means free man. Galatians 5 and 1. For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage, including religious bondage, right? When we entered into the continual Sabbath uh, rest of God, we have freedom from our yokes of bondage because Jesus came to set us free from bondage and fear, right? Amen. And I was standing up uh, by his feet. Uh, It was daytime, although it was very cloudy and dreary outside probably representing the clouds of deception and the dreariness of the 
gross spiritual darkness covering the earth at this time. I looked up and could see that the sky became very bright pink that I had not seen before. Sirens began began blaring, warning of impending storms. Well, God is warning from heaven, represented by the pink sky, as we will see. Hebrews 12 and 25 says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not when they refused him that warned them on earth, much more shall not they escape who turn away from him that warneth from heaven. Amen. And she says, A pink sky is a warning of a storm, which I did not know. And there's an old adage that goes, Pink sky at night, sailor delight. Pink sky in the morning, sailors take warning. I thought of the verse uh, Matthew 16, 2 and 3, But he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the heaven is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for heaven is red and lowering. We know how to discern the face of heaven, but we cannot discern the signs of the times. Yeah, so he rebuked them for not being able to discern that this was a sign of the times. (laughs) As I was looking up, I could see a house that was uprooted from the storm and flying overhead through the sky from the right side towards the left. And I believe this is representative of the apostate church that will be rooted up in judgment because their house wasn't built on the rock of God's Word, the real Jesus. And, believe it or not, they are leftists, the way we can see them today. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be likened to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, and does them not, uh, will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall thereof, because we're obviously talking about eternal life. In uh, Pro Proverbs uh, 15 and 25, The Lord will root up the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. Mm-hmm. I began to panic just like the disciples did in the boat with Jesus and told Chuck to please get up because there was a hurricane coming and we needed to go. I was also afraid that this house might fall on us or crash into the industrial building. Chuck did not seem bothered at all but continued to rest. And, uh, well, 
I'm thinking of First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath punishment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And uh, she put uh, Mark four thirty seven through forty one. And there ariseth a great storm of wind and waves beat into the boat, insomuch that the boat was now filling. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awake him and say unto him, Teacher, carest thou not that we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you fearful? Have you not yet faith? Well, we know that fear is faith in the problem, faith in the curse. Uh, it's it's uh, faith in reverse, right? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, he was at rest. He wasn't worried about it like Chuck was. He wasn't worried about the storm. Amen. Chuck finally got up as I continued to tell him about the house as well as the storm that was up ahead. And we began to walk further down the narrow hallway. Well, the storms of life are meant to draw us closer to God and His righteousness. Amen. There was a door on the left. Oh, don't go through that door. (laughs) And I opened it and looked inside, and it led to an outside dining area. And I could see that it was raining outside. But there were a group of people standing at a table eating, drinking, and just having a good time. Well, and here's the storm coming, right? Um, These are the apostate goats that Jesus placed on his left who are feeding on the false bread of religious doctrines and, and that allow a life of lasciviousness. And they're... Doctrine, of course, is I'm okay, you're okay. You know, don't worry about it. Well, there's we're not to worry about it if we are standing on the rock, but they are supposed to worry about it if they're standing on the sand, right? When he said, I remembered a woman dressed in a black strapless dress, and I asked this woman how bad the storm seemed to her, and she just shrugged. She said it wasn't that bad. However, I knew that she didn't just didn't care and was too immersed in the fleshly enjoyment to see that these were serious times and that we needed to be ready. And uh, she gives Matthew twenty four thirty seven through thirty nine. And as were the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, honestly, folks, the Son of Man is coming again. They're going to miss him again, just like they missed him the first time because they don't know how he's coming, and they don't know in whom he's coming, okay? He came in uh, 
a body of the son of David. He's coming once again in a larger corporate body of the son of David. And he is the storm. <laughs> uh, anyway, I closed that door on the left and Chuck, Zoe, and I began to walk down a little further. And there was another door on the right. I opened it and there was a large body of water there. Chuck carried Zoe through the door and near the water. Well, I think that these waters on the right represent the living waters of the Word that puts our flesh nature to death through baptism. Romans 6, 1-8 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's a doctrine of a lot of people out there. Uh, God forbid... We who did, we who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? Or are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him through baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. For if we've uh, become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, so that we should no longer be in bondage to sin. For he that hath died is justified from sin. But if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. There's the condition, right? I again became worried and told Chuck to please not get too close to the water with Zoe. Although I believe there is a bigger picture here, I know the Lord was speaking to me personally as well. I had recently been thinking too far ahead into the future with some worries and concerns regarding Zoe, and perhaps the tribulation coming up ahead. So I believe the Lord was showing me that I needed to come against a spirit of fear that would hinder me from trusting fully in Him. And she gives Isaiah 43 and 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And then I woke up, she says. I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random and received Ezra 1 and 6. 5 through 8 for context, which is about building the house of the Lord. Obviously in these days, with the fall of Babylon and God's people being set free to go through the wilderness to their promised land, uh, there's going to be a building of the house. And in this case, the house that Babylon destroyed and took down with their Babylonian uh, leadership is going to be restored and rebuilt by the man-child ministry, according to Haggai chapter 2. So, then rose up the heads of fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, even all whose spirit God had stirred up to go 
up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, which is the bride, by the way. And all they that were round about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver and gold, with goods, with beasts, with precious things. Besides all that was willingly offered. Also Cyrus the king, which we know is a type of Trump today, who is also destroying Babylon, brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, representing the people of God, right? which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithraedith, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Hmm. So we see here Cyrus, who is a type of Trump, sent the captive vessels of God, representing his people, and they were under Sheshbazar, the court name of Zerubbabel, by the way, who when he came out and took on the name Zerubbabel, born from Babylon, it means, the uh, man-child type, who was to rebuild the kingdom of God from a falling away. Amen. Oh, God is so awesome. I asked the Lord for a, uh, a verse regarding the water in the dream and received by faith at random, landing on the part of washed in water to cleanse thee. Wow, pretty good, huh? Ezekiel 16 and 4. Uh, we're going to go 4 to 5 and 8 to 9 for context. Speaking of Jerusalem. And as for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water, to cleanse thee. There's where her finger was, right? Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. No eye pitied thee uh, to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field, for that thy person was abhorred in the day that thou wast born. Well, after this falling away of the leadership of God's people, Jerusalem was the leadership of God's people, uh, God remembered his covenant in verse 60, which says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. And he restored the cleansing of water. Okay. Verse 8. Now when I passed by thee, I looked upon thee. Behold, thy time was a time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into covenant with thee, says the Lord, and thou becamest mine. Then washed I thee with water. Yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, God is, is uh, in all of this, all this trouble, all of the storms, and so on and so forth. God is building His kingdom, and He's going to bless His people, the ones that prove to be His people, right? So then Zoe, little Zoe, six-year-old, got a storm dream, 
And it was a confirmation of Mom's dream. Pretty cool. And that was uh, 3.18.23. When he said, My daughter Zoe, who is six years old, didn't know about my dream above regarding a huge storm, but she woke up and told me that she had a crazy dream. Well, and it was a confirmation of the Winnie's dream. She said she opened the door to go outside and there was a huge flood she'd never seen before because it was both snow and water. Well, snow, we've had quite a few dreams about snow, uh, the wicked snow, the evil snow. Um, snow has represented pestilence and uh, plagues in past dreams. And uh, Mike Adams is warning of another uh, engineered pandemic of Marburg slash bird flu. The Alliance is warning of a lockdown and compulsory vaccines. Yeah. Well, uh, she said it looked like an ocean and the waves were moving back and forth aggressively. In other words, wave against wave, you know, aggressively. Well, seas have represented nations of the world in the Bible, and uh, the aggressive waves could represent the peoples of the world rising up against governmental authoritarianism, implemented as a result of a new pandemic that is unleashed on the world to further the one-world agenda. And also, just after the man-child first seal in Revelation 6 comes the second seal, which is when the red horse of war was released in verse 4. And another horse came forth, a red horse, and to him that sat thereon it was given to take peace from the earth, that they should Slay one another. Now, that sounds a lot like those waves going back and forth, doesn't it? And there was given unto him a great sword, meaning, of course, that this red horse is going to end up killing a bunch of people. She said her dad needed to go out there, and she was concerned about him. But she said the Lord protected him. She said his car had water in it because the flood was so high. So that's the uh, end of the dream. And this could be the enemy coming in like a flood, right? And Matthew ten sixteen through 22 says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and their synagogues, and they will scourge you. Yea, and before governors and kings shall you be brought for my sake, for a testimony unto them and to the Gentiles. And verse 19 continues, uh, But when they deliver you up, be not anxious, how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you shall speak. For it's not ye that speak, but it's the Spirit of your Father that speaketh in you. 
And uh, brother shall deliver up brother to death, and the father his child. And uh, children shall rise up against parents, and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. Amen. So endure. Fear not and endure, right? So this next one we called, uh, After Three Hours of Darkness, the man-child Jesus died. Of course, he is a type of the modern-day man-child in whom he will live again. And this was given to Vanessa Weeks, 517-21. I dreamed it was a beautiful sunny day in this area where the UBM people were. Then in the afternoon I went outside and saw all around were dark clouds with reddish-yellow light shining through at various points, and this was opposite to where the sun was. So, all around are the enemies and their dark clouds, which Jesus is coming as a lion to judge. Yes, he is. But where the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N, was, it was still sunny and nice. So, there were storm warnings for all areas around here. The officials declared a warning for this area, which I could not understand because it was so nice. Well, obviously, where the sun, S-O-N slash S-U-N, is, there is peace, right? Amen. They let school out early and closed businesses so everyone could get home safely. I was thinking that was ridiculous because they never do that. Well, this could be a lockdown scenario, which we've heard um, from the Alliance is coming, and 10 days of darkness, which they say is communications darkness, like uh, your telephone, your internet, uh, and so on. Um, I knew the darkness was coming and would last two to three hours. I also saw that people were really distressed over this. Well, the death of the man-child will come after three hours of darkness, as we shall see. And she went on to say, and I heard David say in our morning meeting, we keep receiving words about the crucifixion and also about the destruction of the wicked that have hurt us. Hmm. Here's a text um, I got. Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. 45. Uh, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And uh, Mark fifteen twenty five, and it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And uh, Mark fifteen thirty three through thirty seven, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So that's three hours of darkness, and Jesus the man child died. Okay, which is a, a forerunner to resurrection. Right? Amen. 
And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elijah. And then in 37, he says, And Jesus uttered a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Okay, this is a type of the death of the man-child in our day, right? I received by faith at random for this dream, Isaiah 66 and 5, in context 4 through 10. So here it is. I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. And when I spake, they did not hear, but they did that which was evil in mine eyes, and chose that wherein I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hate you, that cast you out for my name's sake, have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But it is they that shall be put to shame." A voice of tumult from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. Yes, the Lord is going to repay his enemies for the way they have treated God's holy people. Well, verse 7 goes on to say, Before she travailed, she brought forth... Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. So that's before the pain came. The pain is coming. The man-child comes and the pain comes, right? Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth at once? In other words, this is a corporate body we're talking about here not an individual man-child. Shall a nation be born forth at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Zion, too, is a corporate body of people, right? The bride, right? She brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I that cause to bring forth shut the womb, says thy God? Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad for her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn over her. So, troubles will return the church to her biblical leadership of Zion. And not only that, we know that when the man-child ministry is born and brought forth, it's uh, typed in Revelation chapter 6, uh, 1 and 2, that right after that, a war um, comes out between the nations, and they begin to slay one another. Okay, so that fits with this perfectly, you know. All right, this one we call the Fog of Deception. Uh, Marie Kelton, 2, 7, and 23. In this dream, I was working at 
Food City, preparing food. Well, uh, Marie represents the bride in this dream, who is the corporate body of the first harvest. Uh, she is preparing the food of the good news of the gospel to share with the elect of God in the coming seven-year tribulation. Joseph stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The grain represents the spiritual food prepared for a famine of the word. You see how everything fits together? All You know, if something doesn't agree with the different types and shadows leading through the Bible. It's just not the truth. Okay. And she said, As I was preparing the food, I looked at the window in the lobby, and it was really foggy. As a thick, as thick as a cloud, I could hardly see anything ex- ex- except for a little area outside. Okay. I told my co-worker not to look out the window because I thought she would be afraid. I then noticed that the fog got thicker, and it covered a little area now as well. I then told her to look because I was shocked that the fog got thicker, where we couldn't see anything at all even though it was daytime. Well, the Alliance is suggesting that there will be 10 days of communications darkness, phone, internet, the regular TV. Actually, they're going to use the TV to tell the D-class to the people. Okay, so, but according to the normal and natural, uh, their TV will be all suspended, right? Also, the deception and dark times will come, become so thick that it, engulfs to the whole world, right? And it is a worldwide shutdown that they're talking about. The Alliance of Nations is joining together to do this, mostly their militaries. Isaiah 60 and 2, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon thee, that's the bride, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. So the bride, who is preparing the food in Food City, representing Mount Zion, will be a light to many in the coming days of the gross darkness. Of course, Jesus, who was the man-child, sent forth the bride into every place that he himself was going to go to preach the gospel. John the Baptist said that his first fruits disciples uh, were the bride. He was the bridegroom. Amen. Okay, this one we called Get on the Rock. Winnie Asagata again, 325-23. I dreamt that it was a Friday. Well, Friday is the sixth day of the week. Angelica, meaning angelic or messenger of God or angel, and I were walking on the sandy beach of an ocean. The sand represents the promised seed of Father Abraham, as we said in the past. And Genesis twenty-two seventeen says, 
that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Remember that. Amen. There were others walking along with us. I looked over to the left where the ocean was and saw a massive tsunami wave, taller than any I have ever seen on TV. It was actually a double wave. There was a large wave and then the much bigger wave right behind it. Well, many waves of judgment are coming upon the world and its inhabitants. And we saw the waves going back and forth represented the nations being tossed back and forth against one another. Amen. The wave seemed like it was far away. However, I knew that it was deceptive. So, you know, if you think this is far down the road, you might want to rethink that. Okay? Many are deceived and don't believe or realize how close these judgments are. I told Angelica and the others that we needed to climb up on a huge rock that was on our right. The rock was so huge it was like climbing a mountain. Pretty neat. The rock, of course, is Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. For I would not, brethren, have you ignorant that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual food and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Amen. Water out of the rock, and the rock is Christ, right? The water out of the rock is that river of living waters, right? And he spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him were to receive. If you haven't received the Spirit yet, you're missing it. I had somewhat of a hard time getting up there at first, but suddenly I made it up there by grace of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Angelica and the others made it up there as well. It's by grace through faith and not in our own strength. True, true. Matthew seven twenty four through 27. Everyone, therefore, that heareth these words of mine and doeth them shall be likened to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And every one that heareth these words of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and smote upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. Again. Now, once we were up on top of the rock, we were in a house with light blue walls. Well, I think light blue is the color of the sky, if you ever get to look at it. (laughs) 
This is the uh, heavenly house of God that the saints dwell in for safety abiding in Christ, right? Who is our rock and our sure foundation. Amen? We sat down on some couches and Angelica pulled out of her bag a piece of bread wrapped in a white cloth and handed it to me. I tasted it. And while it was not bad, I noticed it was going stale. So it needed to be eaten, ASAP. Or we needed new, fresher bread. And then I woke up. And when I shared the dream with my husband, Chuck, he said eating the bread represents being doers of the word and not just hearers only. That's true. We must eat our daily portion of manna every day so that it does not breed worms, right? You tried to save up your Bible reading for tomorrow, it's gone. You just missed a day right there. You can't go back and get that day. Every day you're supposed to be taking partaking of your manna from heaven, right? Every day. So the verses that came to me were Exodus 16, 4 through 5. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And Jesus said that he was the bread from heaven, and he is the word. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. So, you, you know, you eat the word, and that will prove you whether you're going to keep it or not. So we must consume a day's portion of the word every day. And it shall come to pass on the sixth day that they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gathered daily. Exodus sixteen seventeen through 20. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until the morning. Don't save it for tomorrow. you got to get it today. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until the morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And he was angry with them because we can't save our word up for tomorrow, which we are supposed to be consuming today. Amen? So after I woke up from this dream, I shared this dream with Angelica, and she told me that she had just been praying, and the Lord uh, was just then speaking to her about stale bread. I believe this was a confirmation for me. She said that she has also been praying for fresh revelation from the Lord, and I know He is giving it to all of us and giving us the grace to trust in Him and walk it out. Thank you, Lord, for helping your people. Amen. Amen. Okay, this was given to Claire Pinar, 329.22. Bride's fruit comes to maturity in judgment. Yep. 
Judgment causes people to be very careful with the Lord and careful with their brethren, too. So, because nobody wants to fall under that, right? I dreamed my husband, Rion, and I and our three children were traveling out of the wilderness along a coastal highway onto a higher hill about 20 kilometers away from where the land meets the ocean. Well, the man-child bride and their fruit uh, going up, right, to Mount Zion, right? So, that's good. This is what we're called to do. We're all called to do this, actually. And in an instant, we were now in a tiny little white room on the hill. Doesn't mean that there's a whole lot of people, right? The Lord will do a quick work of sanctification in the first fruits body of believers. I believe that's what this is talking about. There were blockades on either highway, and when we looked back to where we had come from, the ocean had engulfed about 18 kilometers of that 20-kilometer space, and it was completely still. Hmm... The ocean waters represent the curse of judgments that are going to engulf the world as happened in Noah's day. And we already spoke about this, what what is coming. Uh, It was both shocking and completely peaceful. There was no land left. In fact, it was beautiful with the sunshine glistening on the calm ocean, making it hard to believe the destruction that had just taken place. And uh, Rion, her husband, said, The waters represent the righteous judgment of God, even though it is devastating, it is just and righteous, which is beautiful. Yep. Well, it's true. The man-child and bride will be supernaturally protected when the judgments fall during the seven-year tribulation. I looked at Rion and said, Are all those people dead now? He nodded, Yes. I said, Will there be survivors? He shook his head, No. I said, There's nothing left? And he nodded, Yes, again. Uh, We're talking about a great destruction, a great sword, as we saw Revelation chapter 6 and verse 4, right? A great sword will be given to um, the judgment of the red horse, which means um, a lot of death. Then I turned to my youngest daughter, and she was freaking out as she had just started menstruating for the first time, and I told her reassuringly, Don't worry. We've spoken about this. You're going to be okay. Well, she says menstruation could mean that the bride's fruit is coming to maturity. Amen, I agree. And uh, Rion said, these trials will bring many to maturity. It's true. I mean, people suddenly wake up when they they look around them and see the end coming, and um, they begin to uh, find out uh, what's really important, right? 
Rion said that he uh, needed to cut my dark hair and my daughter's hair. He cut my daughter's hair quickly while putting all her hair under water like a baptism. Hmm. Then he cut my hair to just under my ear. And when he did so, it turned completely blonde and was straight. I was amazed. Well, let me say, cutting off the dark hair represents getting rid of submission to darkness. Because your hair is a sign of submission. The baptism of the dark hair put it to death so that the blonde hair could grow, representing submission to the sun, S-O-N slash S-U-N. Because as you know, blonde hair gets bleached in the sun. And the hair being straight represents that all confusion has gone. Wow. That's pretty cool. Well, um, I think this is a really good warning that uh, judgment is coming. We know that we are heading for a Passover. Matter of fact, I think Passover is this evening into tomorrow. Uh, we know we're heading for a Passover. <laughs> um, and, uh, of course, in a Passover, the judgment falls upon the wicked. God has a plan to save the righteous and to bring judgment upon the wicked. And I believe that this is what we've been telling you for a long time, that the Lord is coming in as man-child, and He's going to bring judgment against um, the apostates in the church, uh, the faction, which is extreme apostasism, and um, the leftists in the world, which have the same demons. He's going to bring judgment. Uh, I said, too, I don't believe that um, Trump and uh, the alliance will be able to bring down the deep state. It's so big and so vast. And even I heard just the other day... Uh, uh, JFK Jr., or the one who is supposed to be JFK Jr., um, saying that he thought it would be in the fall that um, that the deep state would fall. Of course, they're saying now, 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 you know. But I want to tell you, I believe it's sooner than they think because help is coming. Supernaturally, God is going to get the credit for bringing down Babylon. And uh, not man. A man is glorifying self and glorifying their system and glorifying all of that. But we would never have come this far at all against this huge darkness uh, without the Lord. And the Lord, and I've said that the Lord is going to come and finish this thing off. And I do believe that this is saying just exactly that. He is coming to finish these people off. This is the most wicked kingdom that's ever been on the face of the earth. And so, well, Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing. We, um, we know that you're going to give, uh, I would say, a relative peace in the first three and a half years 
just a relative peace, not complete peace or peace from any natural destructions, but uh, there was a peace and quiet uh, after the waves came in and took out those on the lower portion of the property there. And there was peace and quiet. Well, there had never been peace and quiet around Babylon or the deep state, the cabal. There's never been peace and quiet around them. They love to make wars. They make money off of wars. They kept the earth in a state of war. So I do believe that God is going to bring judgment on them. In Jesus' name. And by the way, let me say, uh, there is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. If uh, the worldly people in the United States think that this is going to be a great time of peace, and um, the New Agers are saying we've got a thousand years of peace, um, they're going to be proven wrong. Uh, Because... There is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. New Agers are wicked, just like the world. They've got their own little system that glorifies them, and um, and it's always peace and safety down the road, but we know what the Bible says about peace and safety, right? When they're saying that, sudden destruction comes upon them. Yeah. The storms are coming. Storms. Tidal waves. Judgment is coming against the wicked. The Passover, as I began to say, is a judgment against the wicked. There was a Passover, of course, uh, at the Passover when they ate the lamb. But the proof of the Passover, too, was when they got to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was destroyed. And they were preserved through the whole thing. It was like uh, a full manifestation of the Passover. Let me show you, you did have a Passover, God's saying, right? So Pharaoh's army's going down. And um, and that's a good thing. Well, Lord, uh, we love you. We know you're coming to bring vengeance against your enemies. They don't believe it. They're very confident. They can break the law all they want, and they believe they're going to get away with it. Even like this recent arrest of President Trump, right? And he is still the president. <laughs> they should bring that out, and I think they will pretty soon. And uh, because this can't go anywhere, because he whatever he did was legal, you know. And uh, so, Father, we just thank you. They're just playing a game with these people, and they'll probably, you know, give Alvin Bragg a one-way ticket to see Hillary. That's my guess. Somewhere down the road, because he was one of, one of those lawyers that was around her circle, I understand. So, um, Father, we just um, thank you that uh, your judgment is going to be righteous, it's going to be pure. Uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Uh, I will repay. And so we believe you, Father. We we receive your assurance that we won't always have to wrestle with these people. Not that there won't be a tribulation and, of course, uh, still more lost people ready to take the place of this this kingdom here, you know. 
uh, warring against the people of God so that they too will draw close to him and repent and get get under obedience to his word so that they can have that security. Thank you, Lord. All right. God bless you, saints. And uh, Michael Harris coming, and he's going to share a good word with you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father, for blessing Michael and everybody that's listening. Hallelujah. Amen. Night. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again on this bright, sunny day today. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, you're an awesome God, and we praise you and we thank you for your word. Your word that has shown us in past examples of what's going to happen in the future. And we thank you, Father, for doing that. Lord, I ask for your anointing today to get the message across that you'd like for us to do, and that's talking about the shepherds of the flock. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, of course, that's what I want to talk about, the shepherds of his flock. You know, folks, uh, studying the Word, we know that Jesus is going to come again to shepherd his flock, praise be to God. Just think about it. Very few people understand what's about to happen. The Bible teaches us that he's going to come and shepherd his flock. Now, he's coming in the sky in a pre-tribulation rapture, but he's coming to be manifested in his people. Then he's coming for his people. But he's coming for a spotless, blemishless bride. Now, let's look at the word in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 10. It says, Behold, the Lord God will come as a mighty one, and his arm will rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom, and will gently lead those that have their young. That sounds great, don't it? Well, the mighty one that the Lord is going to come as is his first fruits in these days we're in now. And his arm is going to rule for him. And we know in the word of God that the arm of the Lord is Jesus Christ. Jesus was manifested as an arm to lead God's people out of Egypt and through the wilderness. As we, as we see in Isaiah 51 verses 9 through 10 when Moses was manifestly that arm in whom the Lord moved. We know that Isaiah 53 talks about the arm of the Lord being revealed, and it was clearly Jesus Christ in his day. And we know, too, that in our day, there's a manifestation of the arm of the Lord to do the exact same thing. It's to bring God's people out of Egypt and bring them through the wilderness. Now, let me read something here in Isaiah 52 and 7. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings or good news, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigns. Paul in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 quoted this, as being something that was happening in his day and in our day. 
the good tidings here, of course, is what? That's the good news, the gospel of God. So what he's speaking about here is something that was shared from Jesus' time until now. As a matter of fact, when Paul in Romans chapter 10, and it was sometime after Jesus had already been crucified, was talking about something that was coming in the future to him. These good tidings that he spoke about are what's going forth as we speak. The good news today. Publishing God's salvation today. And as we read on down, you're going to see that the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed in this time. One revelation that went forth is, Thy God reigneth. Folks, God is sovereign. And God is doing His will. No one else is ruling with God. He's sovereign to save. He's sovereign to deliver. And He will guide His people through the coming tribulation. Tribulation. Isaiah 52 and 8 says, The voice of thy watchman. They lift up the voice. Together do they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord returns to Zion. So if we take this from Paul's day on, the Lord returning to Zion, it's obviously in our day. And we're going to see uh, verses in just a few moments. Seeing eye to eye is something God's people haven't done since the days of Paul. They hadn't seen eye to eye. There's been division all the way through the church, sect after sect, division after division, denominational division from that day till ours. Jesus said we would be one flock and one shepherd. You don't see that. And seeing eye to eye is something God is going to do in the coming days. The first fruits God is raising up and anointing with the latter rain. They're going to see eye to eye, folks. They're going to see just like the Word of God says. And just like Moses did, bringing God's people through the wilderness. Now, the people fought against Moses, especially their flesh, and they did against Jesus, too. But as the first fruits, both Moses and Jesus, they were in unison with God. The corporate body of the first fruits in our day and the corporate body of the man child ministry, they're going to see eye to eye. And that's a strange thing because that hasn't happened in the church up until now. So, once again, we're looking at the arm of the Lord being revealed here when his people see eye to eye. Isaiah 52 9 says, Break forth into joy, sing together. Ye waste places of Jerusalem. Well, of course, God is once again, like the Apostle Paul said, drawing his people to New Testament spiritual Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm. In other words, he's revealed his strength and his arm. And it goes on to say, In the eyes of all the nations... And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. He says that the gospel will be preached in all the world, and then the end would come. And this is the time he's talking about when his holy arm is going to be revealed in these days. Once again, a Moses is going to bring God's people through the wilderness. He's going to shepherd his people through the wilderness, just like Jesus did, bringing the people into the wilderness feeding them, and taking care of them. It was Jesus who was manifested in Moses. 
and who's going to be manifested in the man-child as well. He will shepherd his people. Jesus means Jah is salvation, right? And of course he is with us. And he's going to be that today. Now let's read this again in Isaiah 40 and verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those that have their young. Then that's a good picture of the Lord's care for his people in a time that they are very worried about because of all the things they heard. Our God reigns as in him. He is in total control over the situation. And he's bringing us into a very controlled atmosphere in order to cause his people to make decisions. Jesus himself was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And it was God's plan for Jesus to be tempted and to overcome and to make the right decisions and so to overcome in the wilderness. The same thing is going to happen with his people. The same thing God did with Moses, bringing the children of Israel into their wilderness. And we know that the Bible tells us the wilderness is a tribulation. So we're headed on. He said he will feed his flock like a shepherd. And in many places it speaks of this and the Lord that the Lord himself is going to feed his people. And as a matter of fact, let's go to Micah chapter 5 for a moment and read a few verses there. Micah 5 and 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which art little to be among the thousands of Judah, out of thee shall one come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Folks, that's Jesus. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she who travaileth had brought forth. Well, why did the Lord give them up when he was called to be the ruler in Israel? When he came into his own, his own received him not, right? He was persecuted and he was killed by these people. And he gave them up until she who travaileth had brought forth. Some people would say that was Jesus. No, Jesus came and he died and he gave them up until this happens again. It's a repetition of history. Until the time that she who travaileth had brought forth. And then the residue of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. Glory to God. He's going to give them up until a man child is born to the travailing woman. And the remnant of natural Israel returns to their olive tree, which is called all Israel in Romans chapter 11. But when that happens, Jesus will manifest in his first fruits in order to repeat history. And repeat the history that we see in the Gospels where Jesus was the shepherd of his flock. Except now, he's going to be able to shepherd a worldwide flock because he lives through the latter rain. He lives through his first fruits. Micah chapter 5 and verse 4. And he shall stand and shall feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. He shall stand and feed his flock. And that's going to be possible because of the latter rain poured out in the days on those who have been walking according to the gospel. 
they have been receiving grace because of the gospel. And we know in Hosea chapter 5 that he gave them up over in verse 15. It says, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my faith. In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. You see, folks, affliction is coming. Tribulation is coming. And God's going to come again, as he said he was in Micah. He's going to come when she who travaileth that brought forth. When a baby is once again born to a woman, a spiritual virgin birth. Obviously, Christ cannot be manifested in his people <clears throat> by the seed of man. It has to be the seed of God only. That's the word of God. And when does this happen in Hosea? Well, he tells us in chapter 6 and verse 2, after two days. And on the third day, it's going to be in the morning. Verse 3, And he will come unto us as the rain, as the latter rain that waters the earth. So, here we are after two days, on the morning of the third day, and he's coming. That's the Lord. He's coming. He's coming for what? He's coming to shepherd his flock. And we're learning that God's awesome plan is going to be missed by much of what's called the church. These shepherds are going to be opposed by the status quo. They're going to be opposed by the shepherds who are much like the shepherds in Jesus' day and Moses' day. They fought against the move of God and they didn't want to give up their place in prominence, their place of position, their place of authority, their place of esteem, their place where they had their hands on God's money or God's people's money. They don't want to give that up. And once again, History is going to repeat and they're going to oppose this move of God. And he makes it clear every day just exactly what it's going to look like. Have you ever prayed that you could live in the time of Jesus? <laughs> A little different, yeah, but remember in the time of Jesus that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful man and put to death sin in the flesh, glory to God. He came in a body of David, which is exactly that's about to happen again. The Son of God came in the Son of Man in that body of David. That's in Romans chapter 1 verse 3. The Bible says he was of the seed of David according to the flesh, but declared to be the Son of God according to the spirit of holiness. The spirit inside that body was the Son of God, and the body was the Son of Man. Now God is choosing to do the same thing. You see, Jesus was a sign. And Jesus this time is coming in the body of the Son of Man, a corporate body of the Son of Man. The first fruits all over the world because now his people are all over the world. They're not just in that little Middle Eastern small area. And we see in Ezekiel 34 this whole story. First of all, in Ezekiel 34 and 1, we see that God is very unhappy with the shepherds. Much like Jesus came as the man child and he was unhappy with the leadership of Israel and had nothing but rebuke for them. And we see that here. He says in Ezekiel 34 and 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy. Well, once again, Ezekiel was called the son of man, and so was Jesus. And so will this man child in the end time be a son of man. Against the shepherds of Israel, the word is pastors, the pastors of Israel. 
Prophesy and say unto them, even to the shepherds, Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Well, what does he mean, feed themselves? Well, what they do, they feed their ego. They feed their pocketbook. They have all their toys of the world. They have everything but an interest in bringing forth Christ in the sheep. And it goes on and says, Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? Verse 3, You eat the fat, and you clothe you with the wool. You kill the fatlings, but you feed not the sheep. So they're living off the sheep, getting fat off the sheep, but they're not feeding the sheep. Verse 4, The diseased have you not strengthened. Neither have ye healed that which was sick. Neither have ye bound up that which was broken. Yeah, I'd say the overwhelming majority of Christianity has a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They don't heal the sick. And most of them claim that all of that passed away with the apostles, talking about healing the sick. And they're not binding up that which is broken either. And it goes on and says, Neither have you brought back that which was riven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with rigor have you ruled over them. And as you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees in Jesus' day had done just that by the law. They had ruled over God's people. And today it's the same thing. People take their position of authority and they rule over God's people instead of ruling by example. Instead of being a sheep among the sheep, they rule with authority. Ezekiel 34 and 10 says, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand. He's going to hold them accountable for what's happening to the sheep. Just like Jesus did in our type and shadow in his day. And it goes on and says, And causes them to cease from feeding the sheep. And folks, if that's not happening, then I don't know what is. They're ceasing to feed the sheep, the pure word of God. They're feeding after their denomination and their Babylonian sex. The sheep are not growing up. They're not growing up into the image of Jesus, right? We're supposed to walk in his steps if we abide in him. That's what First John says. And if you're not feeding up people to where they come into the image of Christ and begin to do the works of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, John fourteen twelve, He that believes on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. They ain't feeding the sheep. It's obvious. Because you look at these children, and they don't look a thing like their father. And that means, of course, somebody else is sowing the seed here. They are strange children, as they were called in the scriptures. Strange children because they don't look like their father. Obviously, when you're feeding on a pure word of God, you should come into the image of Jesus Christ and you begin to do his work. You begin to act as he acted, speak as he spoke, walk as he walked, and on and on. Then it goes on to say, Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, and I will deliver my sheep from their mouth that they may not be food for them. Well, that's true, folks. There's going to be a mass exodus because of this wave of the move of the Spirit. And the unleavened bread of the Word of God that's going to go forth, glory to God. There's going to be a mass exodus of the elect out of those apostate churches. 
Now, I don't say all the people that they think are sheep, but it's the elect that's going to do it. Those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, they're going to flee the Babylonian church. Glory to God. And in the next few verses, God speaks time and time again, I will feed them upon the mountains of Israel, the high places of God. Folks, he's going to feed them. He says in Ezekiel 34 and 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. The Lord's going to shepherd his sheep. Not man, his sheep. Jesus said, it's because you're not of my sheep. He spoke to those that thought they were, but they were not. He's going to shepherd his sheep. How many of these people followed Jesus when he came, folks? At first, with the fishes and the loaves, there was a whole bunch of them. But there was a great falling away when he spoke of eating his body and drinking his blood. In other words, partaking of who he really was. Also, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said. When you start talking about the cross, more and more sheep start scattering. And they start scattering from him. He said he's going to be the shepherd of his sheep. And I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. Ezekiel 14 and 16. I will seek that which was lost and will bring back that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The fat and the strong I will destroy. You know, man is very strong to do the work of God, but that's not what God's after. He's after people that are weak so that he can be strong. And people who are simply vessels who give their lives over to him, let him do the work. Notice what he said. The Lord said, he said, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And is there ever going to be a time that God is not going to use the fivefold ministry? No. But the problem is that the fivefold ministry is using him. God wants to use us. He wants to flow through us. And he wants us to come into agreement with him through submitting to the word of God. He wants us to be sent before we go. The Lord wants willing vessels through whom he can flow, through whom he can shepherd his sheep. And that's the story of Ezekiel 34. The Lord said, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. But then he says something that in the first light seems to be a, a, appear to be the very opposite of this. Ezekiel 14 and 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. The Lord said, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. But now he says he's going to set up one shepherd over them whose name is David. We know that when Jesus came, he fulfilled the prophecies of the coming David, but not completely. And as we've seen, Jesus is coming again. The Lord is planning on using his Davids, and there's going to be a lot of them, as a shepherd. But how can he himself be the shepherd of a sheep while he uses a David? Well, it's simple. The body of David, Romans 1 and 3, that Jesus lived in was perfectly submissive. It was the Lord himself who was in that body. He said, a body thou hast prepared for me. He said that in Hebrews. 
God had prepared a body of the seed of David for Jesus to live in. And Jesus is the one who did the work, right? And that's exactly according to pattern. Jesus was the pattern son. He was the sign in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8. The sign of a greater happening in our day. And that is Jesus being manifested in his first fruits. And that's who this David is. As a matter of fact, we can pretty well prove that. Let me read a little bit more here in verse 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord God, will be their God, and my servant David, prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Well, we'll come to find out that this is a latter-day happening. For instance, if you go to Jeremiah chapter 30, you see the story about David. And first, I want to point out to you before we leave here, when he spoke about David feeding his sheep, that was almost 500 years after David was dead. So you know this ain't physical. It's not physical. The people who insist on the letter are totally missing it. There's no way you can insist on the letter and accept what's being said here. David was already dead and gone. Well, when's this going to happen again? Well, if we look in Jeremiah chapter 30, we look over in verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Whom I will raise up unto them. Now, the story of the rest of this chapter is the story of the deliverance of God's people from Babylon. It's the same story. And it's not changing the timing at all. It's talking about the same story. God's deliverance of his people out of Babylon. Well, what's about to happen here, folks? We've been in bondage to Babylonish religion. In Revelation 18, the story is, Come forth my people out of her. And what happens when they come out? Well, what's left is what? A prison of demons, he says. Revelation 18, 4 and 5. It's going to become a hold of evil spirits. When God's true people come out of these Babylonish religions, what do you think is going to be left? Ain't going to be much there. This whole chapter is about God's deliverance of his people from Babylon. Now, I'd like to read the last verse in this chapter, verse 24. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he has executed, until he have performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days you shall understand it. The latter days? We're not going to understand exactly what God is saying in chapter 30 here until the latter days. When what? When God brings forth his Davids again. When he brings forth the arm of the Lord again. The latter days. Is there more than one latter day? Yep. That's why we have a type and a shadow here. Jesus, the man-child, came forth in a latter day. What latter day was that? Well, let's think about it a moment. It was the end of that covenant of his first people. Just a few years down the road, 70 A.D., the beast devoured the harlot. Just like we see in the book of Revelation. There's a perfect time frame there between Jesus' day and our day. He was in a latter day, and now the man-child is going to be born also in a latter day. 
And at the end of that in Revelation 17, we see the beast devouring the harlot again. This time it's a worldwide harlot. History just repeats on a larger and larger scale. Every time it repeats, it repeats with more people. That's the only difference. This latter day he's speaking of here is twofold. It's Jesus' latter day and the man-child latter day in our day. Well, why is that? Because every prophecy that speaks, speaks first physically and then spiritually. This has been fulfilled physically. Now it's going to be fulfilled spiritually because the David that comes forth today, that's the seed of David today, is not a physical seed of David. How do we know we are Christians? Because we walk in his steps. What makes Jesus our your spiritual father? Because you walk in his steps. It's not because you were physically born of him. You see, seed is passed on in the New Testament by the word and by the nature, not by physical seed. The seed of David in these days in whom Christ will live is a spiritual seed, not a physical seed. Because when you cross over into the New Testament, that's what happens. It's one of those things that God has hidden from the wise and prudent, but he's revealed it unto babes. In the latter days you shall understand it, it says. Remember that phrase because you're going to run into it again. Jeremiah 31 and 1 says, At that time, says the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel. Well, think about that a moment. What could that mean? It means in our day, all the families of Israel. And they shall be my people. Well, if you remember in Romans chapter 11, everybody who was grafted into the olive tree, he called all Israel. Well, who was everybody? All the Gentiles and the Jews who were believers in Jesus Christ. And he called them all Israel. And he also said there he was going to bring in a remnant of natural Israel when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And then he was going to bring in this remnant of natural Israel who were also going to become believers in Jesus Christ. So when he says the God of all the families of Israel, he's talking about the end time. And they shall be my people. Verse 2, Thus saith the Lord, The people that were left of the sword found favor in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. There's the shepherd feeding his flock in the wilderness. Which is what? That's the tribulation. We can also see something very similar to this in Jeremiah 23 and 1. Woe unto the shepherds that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Well, how do they scatter God's flock? Well, they do it by denominations. Jesus prayed this. He said, Father, I pray that they be one as we are one in wolves. And wolves came in to divide up the flock. And of course, they called them pastors or they called themselves pastors. But that's what happened. They divide up the flock. They scattered the flock. They separated the flock. Then it goes on and says, Sayeth the Lord, verse 2, Therefore thus saith the, the Lord, the God of Israel, against the shepherds that feed my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries, whether I have driven them and will bring them again to their foes 
and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Folks, that's something that has yet to be to happen. But it's about to. When Jesus came, he came to draw out of all the denominations of the apostate Judaism a flock. And those disciples he called the church, which means to call out once. They were called out of God's people. And once again, history repeats. God is about to call a flock, one flock with one shepherd that he called David in Ezekiel 34. He's going to call them out of apostate Christianity because that's the people of God today. And what they shall be fruitful and multiply. That's a great promise for our day, as you're going to see in just a moment. Verse 4, And I will set up shepherds over them. So now we're looking at a corporate body of shepherds over them. Who shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be lacking, saith the Lord. Any be lacking. That's right, folks. Let me tell you. The elect are all going to be there. Not all the called, but all the elect are going to be there. That's the chosen one. And not any is going to be lacking. Yeah, I know there are many called, but few are chosen. That's the word elect, electo. They're all going to be there. So you know this is talking about a latter day thing and not something that happened back before Jesus' day. They're all going to be there. Now let's go on with Jeremiah 23 and 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Now, wait a minute. He just got through saying shepherds, plural. And now he's telling you who the branch is. You thought the branch was only Jesus, right? No, the branch is the latter-day body of David that he calls shepherds in whom Jesus lives. That's a righteous branch. And it goes on to say, And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. And if you'll notice, we're talking about a plural. It's a corporate body of people, our righteousness. This branch is a corporate body of David's shepherds, if you will. The text here is talking about the same thing we just looked at. It's rebuking the wicked shepherds, the lying false prophets, all the way down to this verse, verse 20. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed. There it is again, folks. Till he have performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days you shall understand it. Perfectly. 21. I sent not these prophets, yet they ran. I spake not unto them, yet they prophesied. And is it not true that there are many people who have been ordained by religion, but not of God? Verse 22, But if they had stood in my counsel, then had they caused my people to hear my words and had turned them from their evil ways and from the evil of their doings. And so we see this is a latter-day prophecy again of David being raised up and of Christ living in that David and then going forth. Then back to Ezekiel 34 prophecy. Let's go to verse 24. Let's read it again. Ezekiel 34 and 24. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. 25. And I will make with them a covenant of peace, and will cause evil beasts to cease out of the land. 
How many of you know we are the land? This is the land. Our bodies are the land. The enemies, the Canaanites, have to be driven from this land so that that spiritual man, that Israelite, can dwell in this house and live in this house and raise a crop of a or a fruit unto him. Folks, we're that land. And you're going to find out when you read in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, The land that has drunk the rain, it comes oft upon it. And if it brings forth thorns and thistles, it's nigh unto a curse whose end is to be burned. He's not talking about ground there, folks. He's talking about people. In the whole text, he's talking about people. We're that land. He said, talking about Israel, you shall be a delightsome land who cause the evil beast to cease out of the land. And they shall dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the wood. Have you ever heard such a thing that they're going to dwell securely in the wilderness? Think about what that wilderness is in the New Testament. The wilderness, folks, is the tribulation. You read in Revelation chapters 12 and 17, the first three and a half years and the second three and a half years is called the tribulation. That's the wilderness. Now he says they're going to dwell securely in the wilderness. The Lord is going to shepherd his flock. And he, in an end time, David is going to bring his people into the wilderness and they're going to be secure. That's not the scary thing that we've heard about. There's something wrong here. So let's go on a little bit and sleep in the woods. Ezekiel thirty-four twenty-six, And I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing. And I will cause the shower to come down in its season. There shall be showers of blessing. The rain of the Holy Spirit is going to come down. The rain of the knowledge of God is going to come down. It's going to come down in torrents. People are going to grab a hold of this message. Verse 27, And the tree of the field shall yield its fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase. And that's talking about God's people here, folks. And they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bars of their yoke, glory to God, and have delivered them out of the hand of those that made bondmen of them. Praise God forever know. I don't know if you've read the rest of this chapter, but it seems to imply that the bondage is to the false shepherds. And of course, we know in the end time, it's also going to be the beast kingdom, the beast and the harlot. The beast and the harlot have God's people in bondage. The harlot in Jesus' day was apostate Judaism. And the beast, of course, was a Roman government. They together were against the man-child Jesus. The Roman government was propping up the apostate harlot to keep God's people in bondage just like it is today. And the exact same thing is going to happen again on a much larger scale today. And they're going to oppose once again the, in, the, the, the that same entity, Christ in the body of the first fruits. And God says he's going to deliver his sheep out of their hands, out of that bondage, glory to God. Verse 28, And they shall no more be a prey to the nations. Neither shall the beasts of the earth devour them. You know what the beasts are? Daniel, for instance, told us who the beasts are. Different kingdoms of the world. He called each one of them a beast, right? And, of course, individual lost man. 
In Ecclesiastes, Solomon calls a beast, every man is as a beast. For God's people to be in bondage to men, whether it's men of religion or men of the world, it don't make any difference. We've not been called to be in bondage. He's calling us out of that. Then it goes on to say, but they shall dwell securely. Here it is again. And none shall make them afraid. And ye my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. Man, that's awesome. The Lord is going to shepherd his sheep. He's coming. And it doesn't matter. The flesh doesn't get any credit, right? He, If he comes in a body of David, are you going to give David the credit? Or does the credit go to the one who lives inside? That's the Son of God dwelling in the Son of Man. All the credit goes to the Lord. We ain't going to take nothing away from the Lord. This is the Lord's plan to use man. It's by man that mankind fell under the curse. And it's going to be my man that God is going to bring mankind out from under the curse. And once again, the Son of God in the Son of Man. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, let's read on there for a little bit. And if you'll notice, God promised to deliver his people from the bondage of men. Now, you think, how can God's people dwell securely? How can God elect dwell securely when the whole world's out to get them? Because he said, you'd be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And how could they dwell securely? How is that possible? Well, it's possible because God is their shepherd. Now, let's read on down here. Verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those that have their young. So, what about the threat of the beastly nations against God's people? Well, let's go on. Verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. The magnificence, the power, the sovereignty of Almighty God is how He's going to do it. He's talking about His greatness here. How is He going to shepherd His sheep and preserve Him through this time? Verse 13, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being His counselor, hath taught Him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. You know, why do we worry about the threat of the nations? He said, I'm the one who designed all this, God saying. And to him the nations are as a drop of a bucket. And he goes on and says, And are counted as the small dust of the balance. So if you're comparing the nations with God, they are like dust on a scale. Do you have authority here, or, or does our God reign? Is there a sovereign God in control to raise up this crop, or is the beast nations in control? No, God's sovereign. It says, Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Not little islands, but isles as continents, a very little thing. 16, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. 
they are accounted by him as less than nothing and vanity. Now, why should we fear the nations? Our omnipotent, all-powerful God is in control, and he's telling you here not to worry about the nations. They ain't nothing. He said, I'm going to shepherd my sheep. I'll take care of them. I'll carry them in my arm. Folks, he's the king of kings. He's the lord of all lords, and every principality and power is under his feet. Ephesians 23, 24, and 25. And he's given to be the head of the body. And yet, he put every principality, every ruler, under the feet of the body. He's given us dominion over them. If we just learn to take it seriously. You know, God's not a bit worried about the nations that are coming against his people. He ain't worried about them in the slightest bit. Verse 22 says, It is he that sits above the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreads out them out as a tent to dwell in, that brings peace, princesses, to nothing, that makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they have not been planted. Yea, they have not been sown. Yea, their stock has not taken root in the earth. Moreover, he bloweth upon them, and they wither, and the whirlwind taketh them away as stubble. God ain't worried about what the nations can do to his flock. You remember the the, the story that David told about running across a man who was a brand new baby Christian, and he's had a vision of nuclear missiles coming to the United States. And he saw the sign of a local place there. It was Warrington. And he saw a sign saying, Welcome to Warrington. And he saw a nuclear missile go off there and just wipe it all out. Then he saw a little white church. And he saw a foreign military convoy pull up in front of this little white church. A little white church uh, represents a few saints probably pure saints, I'd say. He saw the people come out of the church and there was this foreign invading army right in front of the church. Now this is a brand new baby Christian having the first vision he ever had. And he saw the military people line up, point their guns at these people in the church. These are the people who live through this nuclear explosion. He said suddenly he saw like angels passed between the people in the church and this military convoy and the wind just blew them away. It just blew this group of military people away and the saints were saved. And that was all in a vision. Why don't we believe the power of God to save his people? Folks, we're not under the curse Galatians 3 and 13 tells us that. When we realize who we are, sons of the living God, not under the curse, is God going to preserve his people through the coming wilderness? Well, he says, he bloweth upon them and they wither, and the whirlwind taketh them away as stubble. Verse 25, to whom then will you liken men that I should be equal to them? Thinking about the scales here, the nations are like the dust on the scales compared to God on the other side, right? To whom then will you liken me that I should be equal to him, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who hath created these that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And for that, 
He is strong in power, and not one is lacking. You hear that? Not one is lacking. That's awesome. Mighty God, not one is lacking. Don't you just love to find these these great things in God's Word? Ask the Lord to put it in your heart to desire the truth that He has hidden there. Remember it says, It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, and it's the glory of kings to seek it out. The Lord's great care is going to be with us in the days to come. And we touched on a little bit how that the great fear many people will have about being hated by all nations will give them some concerns. And God answers that question in the rest of that chapter. And Isaiah 40 basically tells us, look, compared to me, nations are a drop in a bucket. They are like the dust on their side of the scale. In other words, compared to me, they're nothing. Less than nothing. As a matter of fact, he said, and he says, he blows upon them and they wither, and the whirlwind taketh them away. They ain't nothing to worry about, folks. They're there to serve the king. They're there to serve us, as a matter of fact. And their hatred for us will bring about that new life in us. It will bring about a tiring of that old life that we live, a tiring of this world, and an appreciation of the things of God. And basically from 27 on down, which we hadn't read yet, it says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and the justice due to me is passed away from my God? 28. Hast thou not be known? Hast thou not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to him that hath no might, he increases strength. Well, God is bringing us into a world where that none of our might is going to be worth anything. It's going to have to be his strength that's going to count for everything. And God's going to put us in a world where the whole world hates us and is making war against us. And yet when we depend upon His might, we're on that winning team. Verse 30, Even though you shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. And of course, youths are known for being strong, aren't they? And energetic, doing everything they need to do, and take care of themselves, being wiser than the elders, and on and on and on. And They're known for those kinds of things. God's going to tire his people out with what's coming. They're going to give up, and they're going to be weary in their fleshly ways of doing things, and they're going to turn back to the Lord. And young men shall utterly fall, it says. 34, but they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, And they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Yes, the Lord is going to use this world to wear out the saints. That is their methods, their youthful lusts, so to speak. And then they're going to turn to God, rest in Him, and wait for Him to see His strength so we can mount up with wings as eagles against our enemies. Our places of safety against our enemies. 
So folks, the Lord is telling us to get next to Him and be one of the ones that brings people out of the apostate churches. Disciple them to being what God wants them to be and that's to be Jesus. To be like Jesus, walk like Jesus, and talk like Jesus. And act like Jesus. Glory to God. Well, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God will it. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart, in you I find mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true.